0: Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan and I'm here with my co-host Rob. Hello. And we have a very special guest tonight. Rob, do us the honors and introduce your friend to us.
1: So this is Ken Brown. I've seen Ken Brown at almost every show that I've been at uh, for like 20 years, basically making shows happen. And I know when we're talking about things we wanted to do for shows. We were like, it'd be cool to talk to somebody that's worked at festivals, that's worked at shows, that could talk about like, what happens at the shows we don't see, how much of a panic factor is there before we see our favorite artist? And also too, and this is probably the party's thrilled to talk about is, you know, how's the industry doing coming out of the pandemic? Because I know uh, one of the things that I think Ken really did well is articulating um, where he was and where the industry was during the pandemic. With his social media he was doing a very sort of good job of like well there's no concerts here's what i'm doing today you know (laughs) um and while you got to have some like really cool family time it's also you know money 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 like all of us you're worried about everything else so we we thought you know this guy's like a one-stop for everything going on so i guess uh just kind of talk about how you got into being you know, producing shows, you know, from stage magic producing shows and kind of get them all going. Just what, what was your calling for that?
2: Uh, I, you know, I, I think my early calling was just the fact that I love music. And, uh, what, what surprises people is that I can't play an instrument to save my life. I just, I have a love for music. My, uh, my mom, uh, had an amazing record collection when I was a kid. And I just remember like, sitting for hours, like, listening to, like, you know, everything from, like, the Beatles to, like, you know, Jimi Hendrix into, like, you know, early, early mid-70s rock, and that's kind of where her collection ended. It was, like, like early 60s to, like, mid-70s, and it just was, like, you know, I just, I just engulfed it. It was, it was amazing, um, and then fast forward, I got a job at a record store, like a lot of us, and, uh, did that, and that was fun. <clears throat> but I realized I wasn't gonna make a living at that. Um, and then years later, I got away from doing anything in music, and uh, uh, I was living in Boulder at the time in Colorado, and I saw uh, 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 the position available doing sales at a, uh, at a small record label. So I got on doing that, and I quickly realized I hated doing sales. But it was music and it was kind of fun and then fast forward we moved down to Austin Texas my wife and I and uh, I started working for a concert promoter down there but at first I was working in the office and again I was like I'm not a nine-to-fiver like I didn't want to be in the office um, so I started picking up side work at one of their smaller venues as a stagehand and within a few months I stopped doing the office gig and I became stage manager at the venue and then just started just it just kind of escalated from there um i did that for a couple years we moved to new york city i for a short minute stopped working in music because uh i tried getting a job I, i thought i'd do a record label again i thought i'm in new york i'll try to get on with the big record labels and this was in 2000 you know before everything dropped out and record labels were still hiring people and i couldn't get a job at a record label so i did video production for a short time and it was horrible but i was producing you know man on the street events and, uh, and like legal conferences and just, just other, just really just boring, boring stuff. But it was producing events. I put together a sound crew and a lighting crew and, and get all the equipment together and basically producing an event. Uh, Um, and then I just decided one day that I wanted to stage me, I wanted to tour manage bands and I just started emailing everybody. And I, I, I knew I knew I'd finally made a dent when I got a call one day and it was uh, Kenny Laguna, who's Joan Jett's manager. He's been our manager forever. And it was Kenny and a woman in the background. And they were talking to me as they were like driving on the highway and having a speakerphone and they were like bickering back and forth. And it was more them talking and bickering and less of me. And then I got off the phone, I looked at the wife, I go, I'm pretty sure I was just on the phone with Joan Jetner, her manager. It was definitely her manager, but I think it was Joan. So then like two weeks later, I went up meeting Joan. And it took a few years, but I did wind up working with Joan, and it was great. But I knew then I would finally kind of like made a dent and was getting somewhere. Um, nice. And then I just started tour managing bands. And I mean, it started out small. I mean, I started out in band tours. I, I started out like selling merch and, and tour managing and, you know, Barely making any money. Maybe I was just getting fed on that first tour, and, and then it just kind of just started going up from there. And then I was on bus tours, and, and then I started doing Transfer grand Orchestra, and I was the assistant road manager. And you know, and I was on a you know a nine truck, eighteen. I'm sorry, nine buses, eighteen trucks. You know, playing huge arenas. You know, all over the eastern half of the United States because they have two simultaneous tours that go out. Um, yeah, and then we started having kids. And I decided that I was gonna come off the road and I was trying to find a, uh, a house gig to get me off the road. And I wasn't just looking in St. Louis, but I lucked out and got a house gig in St. Louis, which is where I grew up. So I still had my mother there and I had, you know, friends that I'd known for, for years since I was like a teenager. So that was great. So I went back and did, did that at the pageant for 12 years. But about two years into that, I started stage managing at festivals um and you know i i i don't even remember how i did that i think somebody just asked me do you want to stage manage this festival it was i think it might have even been like one of it might have been a a point fest or something you know (coughs) at the amphitheater and i was like sure you know and i just fell in love with it you know it was extra income which was great but i also just really enjoyed it i like being on the stage you know, like with, with the Smashing pumpkins right now, I, I, it is a production manager gig, and I do enjoy it. But I've, I've also got, like, tons of emails I'm digging out of. And I enjoy just being, like, on the stage and around the stage and, and, and being in it, but not being in the spotlight, so to speak. So
1: Yeah, and you don't have to, like, worry about being on stage and nobody liking, you know, what songs you're playing or not playing. Yeah,
2: yeah, no. But, you know, then you've also... You know, Whatever you're doing, you've also got a lot of it, a lot of responsibility of just making sure that everything goes right, you know. Because whether you're the stage manager or especially the production manager, if something goes wrong, even if it's a guitar tech or or a piece of equipment goes down, you know, the the artists and musicians are going to look at you and be like, well, "What the heck just happened? And why did that happen? And let's make sure it doesn't happen again." So, yeah, you know, it's a, um, a little stressful, but I I enjoy it. It's fun.
0: When you're when you're doing when you're doing a stage managing gig for a festival, how I'm sure your job doesn't start on the morning of the festival. How far in advance do you start the planning, the organizing and all that kind of stuff?
2: You know, they're they're all very different. And I do I do festivals for Live Nation, AG, Insomniac, C3, Danny Wimmer, and then a whole bunch of mom and pop things. Uh, and I just did Coachella, so that was my first golden voice. And uh, they're all similar, but they're all very different because some of them, i I do all of the advancing, meaning that you know, a month or so out, I start talking or maybe two months out start talking with all of the all of the acts and just finding out what they're bringing and what they need, and just you know digging deeper into that. Um, then there's some of them where they're like, you know, the production manager on the festival say, uh they'll advance and do that with the headliner and i'll just do it with like all the support acts and then there's somewhere they do all of that and i basically walk in and they hand me a binder or send me a bunch of emails or cc me on emails and they're like here here's the schedule here's what we've got for risers and here's what the bands are bringing in and vehicles and yada yada run with it make it work so it's kind of all over the place
1: which do you know, prefer?
2: I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I have a preference. I mean, sometimes it's nice not doing the, the pre work, but it's also it's also I think it's 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 better to know more information than not. But yeah. you know, it just it varies. You know, it depends on it depends on who the production managers and how they do it. Cause I've had some that are really great and just they see me on everything. So then it's just a matter of me just keeping up on reading these emails and just knowing what the heck I'm walking into before I walk into it.
1: And have you gotten to the point now where you get to pick the tours you want to do, or is it like you have to like go to somebody and say, Hey, I want to do this festival or that, or do you have like enough of the street cred where somebody says, Oh, I want this guy or, Oh, I want
2: that guy. I mean, does the industry work like that or is it? I mean, it's kind of a mix. I am. I'm hundred percent freelance now. Like when I was at the pageant, of course I could only do so many festivals and I had to pick and choose because clearly, you know, my responsibility was at the pageant. Um, but you know, uh, things would come up and as long as I could get a sub in place, then I could do it. But now it's like, I just kind of pick and choose what I want to do. I mean, clearly there's things I want to do. Like I really wanted to work Coachella. So Like, yeah, do it. I've been wanting to work Riot Fest forever. And this September, I'm working Riot Fest for the first time ever. So I'm pretty stoked about that. What's happening now is it's just I mean, it's 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 a good thing. But now there's there's so much work out there because everybody is back to touring again and doing festivals. And and a lot of uh, a lot of people on my side got out of it during during COVID and the pandemic. You know, they moved on. I mean, I almost moved on. I, I worked on an HBO series for six months as a COVID compliance officer. So, you know, and at one point I thought, man, maybe I'll just get out of this. And then, and then I realized, no, I really love this. I want to be back in this. So then it was just like, just waiting for it to open back up again. Um, oh. But there's a, there's a huge shortage of production managers and stage managers and even tour managers and and stage hands and riggers and even security, it's just like, there's just a lot of people that have left and there's a lot of newbies. So any given week I get, you know, a ton of like calls, texts, emails like, hey, are you available? Or, hey, we're looking for a guitar tech or a sound guy or this or that for, for, you know, either a a festival or a one-off or an entire tour because there's just not enough of us and everybody's out doing this now again.
0: Can you talk just briefly about that whole period, that uncertainty of, you know, that whole lockdown situation, not knowing how long that was going to last, not yeah. knowing when you would go back to work. That's that I just can't even imagine going. Yeah. Through that.
2: Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was not fun. I mean, there was a. Uh, I I have a lot of friends that really went down some dark tunnels and some of them, unfortunately, didn't make it out um, because they just lost everything. Like, you know, you go from like work, 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 work. And again, most of us are self-employed. So, you know, we're paying for our own health benefits and everything else out of our pocket. And, you know, when when the industry just shut down and stopped, it wasn't like, I mean, some of them couldn't even collect unemployment. So luckily for me, I could collect unemployment. Like that was when I the family and I moved out from St. Louis to L.A. Yeah, and, this was like right after. You, I yeah. know. People are like, the timing was... Ugh. I know, people like, that was the craziest time to move. I go, no, it was okay, because my wife had, had got a job in L.A., and I was furloughed from the pageant, and I was kind of looking to get out and do other things anyway. And... I was getting, I was at least getting paid unemployment to move the family out. Cause I I made three trips from St. Louis to LA to get both our vehicles and all of our crap out there. So at least there was some little paycheck coming in, you know, the unemployment checks. So, I mean, it's better than, you know, the normal situation where you're like, oh shit, I'm moving. Uh, Let me just uh, get off of work for like a week or two weeks or a month and do this big move. It's like, you know, so that part worked out (laughs) well yes after the unemployment ran out and after you know we 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 kept using the analogy of kicking a can down the street because even at the pageant like when everything started like we watched like dominoes that first weekend around you know march 13th where like everything just started canceling and or postponing and it was like it went from march like a lot of things got pushed from march to like may or june and then things got pushed to the end of summer. And then it was like, well, maybe things will start back up in the winter. And then we all, I think a lot of us were like, man, you know, 2021 is going to come around and on January 1st, like everything's going to be normal again. And it wasn't, you know, I think by like probably like by mid mid or end of March, I'm sorry, mid to the end of January of 2021, even I had thought to myself, this, this whole year is done again. Like, nothing's going to happen. Like, it's just like, I'd already given up. Like I was still so hopeful all of 2020 that, that by the, you know, when 2021 rolled around and a few weeks in, it's like, no, nothing has changed. And we're still at this same point. I was like, nothing's going to happen. And then I remember it was like earlier mid-May when all these mask mandates started lifting. And it's like every day it was like festivals announced. Tours announced, festival, festival, tour, festival, festival. It was like, and that's when I was like, all right. Uh, It it was, it was like, it was 2001 all over again when I started getting into touring and I just started emailing the heck out of every contact I had looking for work. And I started lining up festivals and it was awesome. And stuff just kind of started coming together. So I did one in August. I had a second one in August confirmed. And it canceled due to COVID. And then once September rolled around, I quit the HBO job. And the entire month of September and October of last year, I was out every week, mostly on festivals. I did a couple one-offs to two different artists. And then I did stuff into, you know, uh, November and December. And then it was like, OK, what's going to happen in January? And then I wound up lining up these CID festivals in Cancun in like three weeks in January and one week in March. And then I was like, okay, this is, it's kind of, it's kind of coming together. And then just things started lining up again. So how has coming
1: out with coming out of COVID, how has the industry changed now? I mean, was it a thing where like things have been streamlined and it's easier to do? I mean, I know it's probably a little harder because there's, you know, fewer people, but how has the industry changed now with, with with the way shows are happening and getting set up and booked and everything?
2: Um, Or is it? I mean, no, it's definitely changed. I mean, again, I, I, I think I've, I've stressed enough that people have left. So that makes it challenging. I mean, every festival I did last fall and even things that I've done this year, it's like you've been short on stage hands. We've been short on uh, riggers, you know, the ones that hang, hang the, the lighting truss and everything. And then I, I, I hear about it secondhand that they're short on security and it's just, you know, that's rough. That's challenging. Um You know, I thought maybe tours would like scale back and not carry as much stuff. And that went right out the window because I think I think more bands are like, you know, we're back and we're back bigger than ever. So there's a lot of like there's a lot more touring gear going out. Uh, Some of the challenges I you know, I I maybe don't deal with firsthand, but I hear about is um, since everybody's going out now, like all of the all of the lighting gear, and sound gear and the, the tour buses and the trucks, like you just have, you have to rent things like a year in advance now, because things just aren't available. And a lot of companies folded, you know, like in a town where maybe you had four different sound and light companies, for example, like the two of the small ones may have folded and been bought out by like one of those bigger ones. So now you've got less, fewer companies to, to try to rent your gear from. You know, and then a lot of people just are, I don't know if they're gouging the prices, but you know, it's like, I mean, we all see how fuel prices are. So that affects a lot of things. So things are just more expensive. I'm dealing with the fact that like airline prices are crazy right now. Like most of the companies, most of the festivals I deal with since I'm freelance, um, they'll let me buy the airline tickets and then they just reimburse me. But I usually get like an allowance and I was dealing with one the other day where the cheapest airline ticket I could find, and this was for a festival. that's two months from now, the cheapest airline ticket I could find was twice what I was allotted to pay because it's wow. just outrageous if yeah. you look at airline prices right now. So, uh, but again, that's getting off the tangent, this thing, but it, it's just, uh, how else it's different. I mean, I feel like people are happy to be back. I definitely hear that a lot and that's nice You know, I mean, we all kind of make jokes about, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to gripe and complain about this anymore. Cause like, you know, and I've been saying this forever. It's like the worst day is still better than, than, you know, say when I was a roofer, I did roofing for a week. That is the worst job that I personally (laughs) did. So when I'm having a really bad day, I always think to myself, well, I'm not roofing because that Mm -hmm. was, you know, so sometimes you just got to step back and think about the big picture. Just try to find the bright side. Right.
1: The, the one thing I did notice that's interesting is that like, I mean, they, like they did this at the Grammys, but also like a couple of the shows I've been to now since I've been mean, back, is that people seem way more appreciative of the tech staff and like, like the venue staff. It's like, it's no longer like, you know, people barking at people. It seems like people are just really grateful to have people doing this. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that at least like, Jobs like yours, where you're like literally making
2: it happen, people appreciate it more. I mean, I really hope that's, uh, exactly that's happening. somewhat. You know, there's always going to be somebody that's in a bad yeah. mood in this and that, or you yeah. know, sometimes you just don't get appreciated. But I've always said that too. I'm like, you know, it takes all of us to make this happen. Yeah. Um, and it is. I love it whether I'm at a show as a spectator or I'm working a show mm-hmm. when the band and tour. Like the band gives props to like, like the working crew or the yeah. venue staff. I mean, it's like, cause we all have to, it takes all of us to put it together. You know, it's not like some yeah. magic button and there's the show. So,
1: yeah. So when you have a show, like it's the yeah. day of the show, yep. walk us through sort of what the, the schedule is like, okay. We know the band goes on at like nine or whatever. Right. But sort yeah. of like, what is your day
2: like for that? All right. Well, so. You know, with example on the tour I'm on. So, like tomorrow morning, uh, myself and the crew have a lobby call at eight thirty, and then uh, we'll get to the venue like you know, a quarter to nine or whatever. Breakfast is up at nine, and then load ins at ten, and hopefully we're line checking between two and three, and then the band comes in to sound check at four, and then the opening act will hopefully sound check around five and I think doors are 6 or 6.30. The show will start at 8, so then you have an opener at 8, you have the headliner maybe at 9, everything's done like 10, 30 or 11, and then what a lot of people don't realize is there's a whole thing called loadout, because I don't know how many times I've had friends that have come to shows, and the minute the show's over, they're like, great, you can hang out now. I'm like, no, see all that stuff on stage? It's all got to get packed up, (laughs) and it's all got to get put back in the truck, or the trailer of the bus, or wherever it came from. In you know, it, it takes it takes a couple hours. So, you know, that's that's my normal day. That's a, that's a long day. Yeah, yeah. And it's a and it's we a labor work, of love. Work, we work long hours, so you know, it, it, in my industry, we we often make fun of people when they complain about working, you know, eight eight or ten hours. And and you know, for us, it, like that's a half day. <laughs> Is
1: it, is it the adrenaline rush that it sounds like
2: it might be? It is. I mean, I love it. I mean, and there, depending on what you do, there can be some downtime. I mean, you know, as the stage manager and production manager, I usually don't have any downtime, but I'm okay with that. I mean, if I do, I'm pretty much sitting in front of my laptop, digging out of emails, which it is, you know, that, that, that's about my downtime. Um, But you know, some of the texts like the, like say the guitar text, or the drum techs, you know, they'll work very hard in the morning, early day, bankers in the sound checks, and then they might, you know, be able to like go back on the bus and take a nap for a couple hours, you know, before showtime. It is just
1: so much work and it's so time consuming and it is a grind because you're almost
2: um, working as hard. It's a different type of working hard as the actual performers. Yeah. You no, know, we are. I mean, because we, you know, as I said before, we have to, it's up to us to make sure that that everything goes right for them, you know, because if they look bad, uh, or if they at least feel like there's, there's errors or something, you know, then it reflects on us. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and most of the time, you know, and I've seen this, it's like the audience doesn't even, half the time, more than half the time, even notice when something minor goes wrong. But clearly, you know, the band, the artists they notice something goes wrong. Uh, you know, the crew notices like, oh crap, like that wasn't the right note or what the heck, you know, what, what happened over there? So-and-so symbol just fell off or a mic, um, uh, you know, a microphone got knocked over, but nine times out of 10, the audience doesn't even notice it. And oh, that's cool. Cool. Mean, is that's- cool. But unfortunately, we all notice it. So then we have to fix yeah. it and also figure out what went wrong and make sure it doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah. So. What are some of the Uh, of all the tours and festivals that you've done, what are some of your favorite stories? Like what are some of the festivals that you really loved doing something that was like an unexpected success, you know, something that was really fulfilling for you as a professional?
2: Well, I I told this story recently. So uh, Rob will probably enjoy this. Uh, So I worked worked Lou Fest the last couple of years that it actually happened. And uh, Lauren Hill was on my stage and if anybody knows Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill kind of has a reputation of, uh, <laughs> he's kind of like the female Axel Rose. And I think Axel's gotten a lot better. Now that he's back with the, you know, Slash and Duff with timing. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I had done two previous shows with Lauren and the first time she was like two hours late getting to the venue and getting on stage. The second time she was only like 20 minutes late. But the problem is, is people remember like, oh, she's late. So the third time I worked with her was at Lou Fest, and uh, uh, she was headlining on my stage, I had the second stage, and uh, LCD Sound System was on the headlining the main stage. And they had this timed out set, and it was going right to curfew. And weeks and weeks leading up to this, like the producers of the festivals and my bosses and everybody were like, look, like, it's a big deal. You gotta make sure she gets on and off stage. Like, cause she's got that bad of a rep. Pardon me is like, then why'd you book her? But you know, it's Lauren Hill and it is a fun show when she actually gets on stage and performs. So I'm just, the whole advance, I'm just telling her I can't repeat it. Like she has to get on and especially get off on time. And even on day of, I was like, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen. So fast forward, it's the night of the show. And her band started on time. They did like, they were just doing like a bunch of jamming stuff. And Lauren eventually did come on stage, but it was within the time frame. And it was great. And then she started doing her songs. And then now it's like five minutes before she's supposed to end. And I could already see the producer was out there, like basically standing behind the soundboard, ready to press the button slash pull the plug on the sound. And I was like, oh God. And again, I'm telling her crew like this has to happen. This has to happen. And she finished within like 15 or 20 seconds of what she was supposed to. Nice. Walk off stage <laughs> and then they went right into LC's L C D. And I think L C D even it wound up uh dropping a song from their set list. So they wound up finishing a few minutes early. But I remember telling everybody that night, I go, I want it on my headstone that I got Lauren Hill on and off stage. Time. <laughs> that will just never happen again. Yeah, no, like, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I was very I was happy with myself, but I mean it took it took, you know. It, it, she did it it took her team telling her and, and, and me telling them and so it was But it was awesome it was fun yeah. it was a fun show people had a good time now how much when you're working how much of the show do you actually get to see and like enjoy not just like well Whoa. it depends I mean on my if it's my stage I guess it really depends because if I'm if I'm stage managing then clearly I get the band on I usually stand there for one or two songs to make sure everything's good And then it's a matter of, okay, I can go back to my office. I can check on the stage hands, make sure like they're getting the band loaded out that just came off and whatever. Um, Then I go back to my office and and dig out of emails or whatever. Or if it's somebody that I really want to watch, I can, you know, sometimes watch a little bit more of the show. You know, usually I've got privy to to seeing a set list. So I can be like, okay, I really want to come out and see this song and this song. So that's kind of nice. And then I usually try to get up there you know, for the last song or two, just to make sure when they come off and, and all that stuff. So I could see some of it. Yeah,
1: I was watching the the YouTube feeds for Coachella, seeing if I could see you. Um, yeah. But it looked like literally everybody there was just like manically whipped into a frenzy. So oh, yeah. that had that had to that had to be like incredibly intense, but also incredibly cool at the same time.
2: Yeah, it was, it was definitely quite intense. Uh, you know, we had 10 bands on my stage every day, which usually I, most of the festivals I work, I have anywhere from like two to six bands a day, not 10. And then we had 25 minute changeovers. And again, that's not a lot of time. I mean, and even the main stages have really, they have like maybe 30 minute changeovers and I've done some festivals where we have like an hour changeover because we're basically alternating with like another stage. So it's like that stage is playing like that band's playing for 45 or 50 or 60 minutes. Yeah. So that's how long your changeover is, which is nice. I mean, 30's good, 45's comfortable. Anything over 45 just gets too long. But under 30 is just like, holy hell, you know. Yeah. You know, it depends because if they've got several, if one band has several risers and then there's like, you know. Again, with Coachella, uh, everybody had these, these massive like ground light packages. So they had, you know, either these lighting towers that, were, that got rolled out or we had like risers that were just full of lights that we'd roll out and then have to set them up on the deck. And it was just like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like NASCAR. You're just like rushing this stuff on and off the deck. <laughs> so.
1: so when you've got like Disclosure or the Avalanches that are mostly like just two guys jumping up and down, are those load-ins a lot easier? And those tech from a tech end, is that easier than like
2: a band with like seven guys? Or is it just a different type of difficult? It's a different type of difficult because honestly, a, lot of the, a lot of the EDM acts, there's just a lot of acts now in general. I mean, I think for festivals, again, it feels like because everybody hasn't done anything in a long time, they just want to give like a big show and a big presence. So there was just a lot of like these large lighting packages that were rolling out for every single band. Like nothing small, like, you know, I was telling somebody, I go, you know, usually when I have like six bands on a stage, the headliner will have a large lighting package and maybe one other band will have a few lights that come out. It was like if we had 10 bands on the stage every day, which we did out of 10 bands, probably eight of them had like large lighting packages. So it was a constant like on and off and on and off and on and off. And like there was like it was anything from like three to like six risers. I mean, we had a huge deck, but it was like it was a lot of risers. We had Arcade Fire one week on my stage and they just had they just had a lot of stuff. Wow. So uh,
0: Coachella, um, the whole thing was streamed this year. And I'm just wondering if that impacts your job at all. Is, Is there anything that you have to factor in when as opposed to a show or a festival that's not being streamed? Is there some extra element that
2: you have to deal with? (laughs) yeah the only thing is you gotta you gotta watch those uh camera guys because they get in your way yeah like seriously because like you know the the sound and lights crew you're working with because they're either part of your stage team or they're part of the tour team yeah so everybody's goal is to get the gear on and off the stage as quick as possible then you you drop in a camera guy and his whole job is just getting his camera and his tripod and he's got cables going right across where you need to roll a bunch of risers. And that was kind of a constant, like at least several times a day, it's like, what the hell's, Oh, Oh, it's the camera guy. So that, that that was probably the only challenge. Okay. (laughs) Just keeping them out of our way.
0: (laughs) Right. Of the bands that were on your stage at Coachella, uh, was there anything that was like a, a challenge? Were there any difficulties that you had to fix on the fly? Anything that was like a, that just like momentarily went wrong could have been a catastrophe.
2: We had a few uh, we had some uh, uh, riser wheel blowouts, which was kind of funny, like one of the riser wheels. I don't remember which band it was, but the wheel just completely crumbled right off. And it was right when we were trying to get it off. And it was like it wasn't even like an eight by eight. It was like an eight by 12. And it had like just a ton of gear. And it's like, what the hell? And then like one of the wheels locked up on another one. Just goofy things. And of course, it's like we got to get it out of there. Yeah. Uh, so, but other than that, no, I mean, sometimes it's just a, you know, there's always like the little, uh, how much, how much plug-in and stuff have you got to do with all these lights? Because that sometimes takes a minute, especially if you just have one lighting person, and they don't have an extra tech and, and they look at, you know, myself and my stagehands and it's like, we're not lighting people, you know, mm-hmm. we're here to get the stuff on and off and we'll help you with the placement. Um, but it's kind of hard when you, you, when they look at the stage ends about, well, can you plug this in? It's like, sure, but we might plug in things wrong because this isn't what we do for a living. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not an LD. So anyway.
0: The one factor that you can't control or predict is weather. Oh, yeah. How much has that impacted you at some of your
2: gigs? Oh, gosh. Funny you should ask. It just, <laughs> happened, it just <laughs> happened last night. Just happened last night. So... Last night at Beale Street, which I guess that's one of those festivals where it rains every year, um, (laughs) at about, uh, let's see, oh, I don't know, 7.30. We, uh, myself and tour manager for Smashing Pumpkins, along with the tour manager and production manager for Stone Pilots, all got called into the production manager of the festival's office. And he's like, hey, there's bad weather coming. We're, We're gonna evacuate at 8.15. And we're like, okay, so that that's basically right before simple Pilots, who was right before us. So I was like, what does that mean for our sets? They're like, we don't know. It either means show's over, start, start loading out, or it means we'll, in an hour, hour and a half, when all this weather passes, we'll let people back in, and maybe you guys will each do a condensed, like, one-hour set. Wow. But we didn't have confirmation on this, on that part. So myself and the production manager of the Pilots, who's a buddy of mine, we both quickly went and told our crew, but we're like, look, don't get crazy. We don't want to alert the fans because they're not gonna they're not going to tell people things. Cause right, it didn't look that bad, but clearly on the radar, we could see the weather was coming. Um, and they always, the bigger festivals used to have a, a meteorologist that, that basically, that's their whole job is like watching the weather patterns coming. Oh, in interesting. That's something that I've never known before. Oh yeah, yeah. They have to know about that. Cause they, I feel like in the last 10 years, that's become a big thing is, you know, cause you don't want, you know, I had to explain it to, to a band member. I go, they're like, well, what if it pours a lot of rain? They'll cancel. Right. I go, no, I go, I go, it's all about lightning and wind. I go, it can rain cats and dogs, but as long as we don't have lightning or wind, it's fine. Just everybody gets wet. And unfortunately, probably a lot of gear gets wet, but they won't cancel it for rain solely so um but anyway the long story short they kept coming back and forth on this Stumble pilots actually wound up performing they never they didn't they didn't evacuate 815 stunt pilots performed they did cut their set from 75 down to 60 um uh, they finished up we actually had a little longer time because they ended early for our changeover so it was great we were 15 minutes from showtime and all of a sudden it's like hey guess what weather's back we're evacuating i'm like God damn it. I even looked at my buddy from Southernville Pilots. I said, I guess you want the towing cost because because uh, right. you, you guys got in and out and now you're actually loading out and you're done. Right. <laughs> now we're in a holding pattern again. Wow. So uh, by the time the weather passed and they decided, yes, we're going to put you guys back on again. We went on 10 minutes before we were scheduled to come off. And then we performed about an hour instead of the uh, hour and a half mm. and uh, you yeah, know that, that's, that's why I didn't get back to the hotel until after 3 and we had a 4am uh, lobby call for our early flights to get to San Antonio so uh, I didn't sleep as I got on the plane <sighs> and then I slept when I got here
0: well I'm glad you got some at least
2: yeah a little it's fine i
0: cannot sleep on planes so i would have been screwed at that. Plane.
2: i used to not be able to sleep on planes but i'll tell you what when i'm that tired I'll yeah
0: sleep on the plane. yeah you um, learn too
2: <laughs> but yeah mother nature is uh, it's it's evil with festivals i mean i <clears throat> that's why when people complain about the heat in the sun i go i would rather have the heat in the sun because yeah it won't get canceled because right. as soon as you get that that lightning especially the lightning but also wind it's like mm-hmm. now we got problems right
1: what are the? What, I know you mentioned Riot Fest, but what's coming up that like you're really, really excited about doing? Just in terms of like, I get to work with an artist or somebody that I've never worked with before, or I just want to hear these bands, or what? Uh, as a music fan, what's come up that you're really excited about?
2: Uh, goodness. Um, well, I'm working. Uh, I'm working Electric force for the first time. And that's up in Northern Michigan it's an EDM Fest. I mean, I, you know, I like all kinds of music. Uh, I don't even know who's on my stage yet. (laughs) Um, I mean, even at Coachella, my production manager had no idea who's on our stage. Like two days out, they were advancing with certain bands that got moved to other stages because things were just changing so quickly. And even at at, uh, Beale Street, like uh, there was bands dropping in and out left and right. partially wow. because of COVID and things just, I don't know, things are just, things are real loosey-goosey nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to Electric Forest just because I have not, I for some reason I work a lot of rock festivals, and I tend to work a lot of country festivals, and I haven't worked an EDM festival. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to it because it's Insomniac and I haven't done anything with them yet. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm also doing this thing called Splash House, which it's surprising enough, it's also another idiom thing, but it's in Palm Springs. Uh, so that and it's 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 like I think it's four or five different stages at a bunch of different like nice hotels. They're like poolside, but they basically build a big stage like right next to the pool. So it's like a beach not beach day, but I guess like a poolside party festival thing. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm curious to see how what this thing looks like you know, and work a yeah. fun. Water and electricity. All right. Water and electricity. Exactly. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> to, I'm excited to work Bonnaroo, uh, for the second time and hope and this time, it actually happens because last year I was there when it got canceled. I was going to oh, ask wow. you about that. Yeah. I was going to ask you to tell that story. So I get down there, I was there for 23 hours and all of us stage management, we, we constantly kept getting called together because at one point it was like, Hey, uh, how many of you are available to, to stick around through Monday? Because maybe we'll, instead of, I think, cause it's Friday, I think Bonnaroo, is it Friday through Sunday? Anyway, they are going to start a day later and go through Monday and out of like, cause there's like 16 or something stage managers. Cause there's two stage managers for every stage because there's just, there's constantly, there's, there's an overnight and a daytime. And a lot of these big festivals there are just cause there's bands that load in that like, four, five, six o'clock in the morning. And then of course the loadouts go till sometimes two or three in the morning. So you can't have one person working an entire shift. So it's nice because we each have a counterpart, but, uh, out of the 16 of us, I think 10 or 12 of us, including myself were like, I've got another gig I'm flying to on Monday. Like I can't stay through Monday. So then they called us back in. And, uh, this was the Hey guys, it's not happening this year. Like it's just, and it was bad. It was really bad. Like I had friends going, are you, was it really that bad? I'd send them pictures. There was a truck that was loading out during loadout. Uh, it's, uh, the tractor trailer, its wheels got stuck like halfway down tractor trailer wheels halfway in the mud. Mm-hmm. But we had to get two record record trucks to pull it out. I was like, yeah, this is how bad it is. And I'm like, okay. I heard, I heard about, you know, I heard about so, how awful that was. Yeah. It's a, that whole situation. Camp. And again, even one of the higher ups is like, look, he's like, you know, it's like, it's like, I think, I think Bonnaroo is, I forget how many people it's like 80 or 90,000. But it's like, if you get 50,000 people camping, like, like two thirds of them are going to get stuck in the mud. So we're going to be pulling cars out of the mud and hearing about it. It's just, it's not going to be fun or pleasant for anybody. No. So, but then afterwards, you know, we were all bummed that it canceled, but we also all kind of looked at each other like, we thought it would cancel because of COVID, not because of weather. Not, this, is, this is Bonnaroo. It rains here every year. It just doesn't <laughs> rain that much in that short amount of time. So Right, right. It was pretty crazy to see. So I'm looking forward to that actually happening this year in, uh, in, uh, and yeah, getting, getting through it.
0: Um, So you worked with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you talked about uh, it being an 18-truck production. How long were you on tour with them? What was that kind of like massive? Because I've seen Trans-Siberian once or twice before, and it is a huge show. What is it like having to put that together every night?
2: On that one, uh, I was the assistant road manager. Luckily, I've done a lot of different roles. So I was less involved with production, but I love production. So I was always kind of curious what was going on. But uh, so we did do shows every day. So the simultaneous thing is because there's an East Coast and a West Coast. Because I'd have friends going like, "How is it you're playing Phoenix in Chicago the same night?" I go, "That's because there's a West Coast and East Coast." Like we basically, from the crew all the way through the band, and every everybody has the same. It's like the Superman thing. Like we have our counterpart. Like there's that person who does your same gig on the opposite coast. So it was pretty fun. Uh, so we would do five days in a row, eight shows. Well, we do seven. Before Thanksgiving, we'd do one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, uh, let's see, one on Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. But then after Thanksgiving, we start doing like, we start doing like two on Friday. So it works into like eight shows in five days, and then you have Monday and Tuesday off, and that's your set schedule. And it's crazy, it's intense. Wow. Uh, but it's 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 an amazing production to see you know i mean i always tell people like even if you don't like christian music or whatever like it's like people ask me like is it worth seeing i go yes it's worth seeing i mean yeah. it may not be your thing but it's worth seeing once because it is just a massive production yeah you know yeah. even when it's along so long now it's like it's 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 just a machine
1: and i guess when you do that too it gives you sort of the on the job training to do anything else just because you literally get such a feel for
2: everything. And it's, it's just touring wise. I mean, I used to make the joke. I go, it's like the Vietnam of touring. So after you do that one, any other tour seems easy. Yeah. I kind of came out of Coachella saying that about festivals. I
0: want to, I'm going to go back to sort of like the, your beginning uh, working in a record store because both Rob and I have worked in record stores and that's one of the best times of my life. what was where where did you work what was your job
2: how long were you there and how awesome was it oh so okay so i was at the sound warehouse in delwood Uh, ah yeah which which of course used to be a peaches yeah Uh, i I, I met the gap band there as a kid oh cool (laughs) which is pretty awesome and to this day i both you guys might appreciate this to this day i always wonder what the heck ever happened with all those handprints? Remember the concrete handprints they had around so,
1: As of three years ago, they were still there. Really? Yeah, because I went up there. My, my mom was up that way. So one day I was like, there's a mobile, mobile gas station there now. And I went with uh, a couple friends of mine. We were up north. I'm like, let's go see. And yeah, you just go to this mobile and it's still there. Um, great. And that was up three years ago. Because they literally would have everybody come into the Peaches. Yeah. And that was famous and they put their hands in the ground okay. and it was cool when you go and shop there because you're right. like "Ooh, who's here now and who's you know
2: yeah yeah right. it, was like, it was like our original st louis walk of fame and it was just right there but it was really kind of funny so i worked at i worked at sound warehouse um oh gosh i guess it was uh probably 91 to 93 until i left st louis mm. um it got to the point where I just worked one day a week. I would, I basically was keeping my discount, and I would work. Right. I'd, work this, I'd work the Saturday morning shift because nobody else, everybody else was like, "Oh, I can't wake up." I'm like, "I can wake up." Like I, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd go out partying all night and still get there. I'd do my nine to, it was like nine to four or something shift, um, because my other gig was working at Casa Girado Grill at Galleria. And so <laughs> I worked nice. there. I I could work a Friday and Saturday there, in in tips alone, like make all my, my rent and bills for the month. So the record store, I just did for just purely out of fun and love. Like I love walking in there. It's like, Ooh, this just came out. Let's listen to this, mm-hmm. you, know? Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and again, you know, sometimes I, would get concert tickets. I remember like my, my boss, uh, he would, he would take turns like taking different, uh, uh, staff members, like, you know, the big shows. So I got to go to the zoo, zoo TV tour at Bush stadium oh wow that was, that was like that was probably like one of the first like huge like i went to other big shows like i went to see van halen in 1994 when i was when i was you know that was like one of my first shows but like when mm. zoo tv tour it pushed him i was like holy crap this is massive production yeah that was huge but yeah i loved it and you know then we had the street side right down the street so we were good friends with them so you know it was it was all nice camaraderie it's like hey we don't have this in stock do you guys have this in stock sure okay we're gonna send them down there like there was no like competition yeah. it's like whatever plus again they were all friends of ours right i mean <laughs> i went to flow valley i listened to Rob and kcfe uh yeah. i remember on on breaks between classes i'd walk to street side even though i worked the sound warehouse Sometimes yep. I'd, walk to, I'd walk to street side because it was closer just to get something yeah. You could
1: go during a break and go get a record and come back. Cause we would do it that. Was, we, it was great. We'd call the street side and be like, we don't have a promo of this. Can we borrow it to, to like put it on a cart and then bring it back? <laughs> yeah. So we were like, we were borrowing records and then taking them in the studio and then putting them on a cart, kids ask your parents, and then yeah. uh, taking it back. You know, we had like sign for it and stuff
2: too. And we yeah. didn't have record store day. So it was a lot easier for, you know,
1: everybody yeah.
2: Yeah. Like I loved like back in the day, back then, like going to vintage vinyl. And remember, there was the there was the guy in the back that would sell like the concert T shirts, but they were kind of like yep. the, the the bootleg ones that you could get like the day after. That were like half price, <laughs> right. and then it's like we'd bounce down the street side. I remember meeting the Beastie Boys at Street yep. Side on Belmar. And then we got Records when it was still on Euclid. I mean, it was, it was, those were the best days. Yeah. I bought, I, and if
1: I ever find this, I'm going to give it to Alan, but I bought a bootleg David Bowie shirt where they forgot the I and Bowie. Oh, oh nice. I I so love just it just said David Bow, right?
0: That's awesome.
2: And I'm like, oh, some kid in Nicaragua is going to get this, you know. <laughs> that is um, hilarious. I think my, 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 uh, my favorite slash funniest, uh, it was Jane's Addiction it was it was right before it was right when ritual came out and i think they played the american and it was before Plaza was was like bubbling and uh i bought a bootleg shirt out front i'm pretty sure it was like 10 bucks and it was rolled up with a rubber band and i just remember i got it i threw it back in the car i didn't look at it till the next day i opened it up the next day it was a v-neck I'm like, what the hell is this? And all my friends were laughing at me. They're like, you bought a V-neck. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wear this, but this is the craziest thing. Like, how many times have you seen a concert V-neck? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago when, when, when Van Halen got back together with David Lee Roth, my buddy and I went to Chicago to see him. And I remember they were selling bootleg uh, tie-dye Van Halen shirts in the parking lot. I'm like we were like what the hell is this <laughs> what Van Halen fan wears a tie-dye shirt but I'm like, they must have just got these really cheap and just put the print on it and just roll with it and I'm sure people were buying them but I was like that there's just something not right about that
0: not as a professional but just as a fan as a concert goer what's the best show you've ever seen oh gosh
2: I'm bad with these questions. It's like when somebody asks me who my favorite artist is. It, 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 like, I, I, yeah. you asked me five different days, I would give you five different answers. Um, gosh, let me think. I saw Stevie Wonder a few years ago. That was pretty. That was pretty. Oh amazing. man. Um, was
1: well, that the show at the arena?
2: Yes. All right, the arena at the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, at the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Songs of the Key of Life. Yeah.
0: Of it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing.
2: That, that just that popped in my head so that that's good uh what else gosh I've, a problem because i've seen too many shows
1: yeah well that's the same yeah exactly um how was that elfman set at Coachella did you have, so, to, did you have
2: to handle that no i didn't get to see anyway, because it was it was on a different stage it was on my buddy's stage and he was like oh my god it was amazing i was like great rub it in and then of course i, <laughs> I could watch it on youtube and i could only find like little snippets of it so uh, I haven't gone back to try to find it now again. I should, cause I, I definitely want to watch some of it, but, uh, I heard it was amazing. I wish that has,
0: amazing. that has been the talk of the, of the whole festival.
1: It really has. Yeah. But I, I was watching that and I'm like, man, who's ever got to tech all that. There's there's a lot of moving parts.
2: There is. Yeah. I will say this. What was really funny was that, what was it? He performed on Saturday night. So the Thursday before his first weekend, um, uh, we were leaving from my stage because they, they basically would send a runner vehicle to get us from the stage, take us back to production. We clock out and then we get a ride back to the hotel. And I'm riding past that stage and I was like, what the hell is this? And I rolled down the window. I was like, there's like a marching band on that stage. I go, what the hell is going on? So fast forward, I talked to my buddy, I guess, either that evening or the next day. He goes, oh, that was that was Elfman's band up there. I was like, damn it. I go, that would have been my chance. I should have just like stuck around that evening and watched the rehearsal because that would have been as close as I got to watching the show.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I was just, and I think what it was is I, I'm pretty sure that's when they were doing The Simpsons because, you know, from a distance, yeah. I was like, "What is this like some high school marching band? And I'm like, I, I kind of vaguely remember going, this sounds like The Simpsons theme song. So, <laughs> I had no idea. But, so which stage uh, did you manage and who was on your stage? I was on the Mojave stage. So we had uh, the big X. So the first weekend we had Arcade Fire, and the second weekend we had Run the Jewels instead of Arcade Fire. But Arcade Fire only played the first weekend. Run the Jewels, I think, was on the main stage the first weekend. They flip flopped ours. So that was nice because I have have a lot of friends on that tour. Um, So that's one of the perks of working in this business. I always say working festivals is like roadie high school reunion Mm -hmm. because on any given day I look up and I see like, five, six, eight of my friends, you know, from either working festivals or touring or working at the pageant. So that, that makes it really nice. Um, but we had those two and I, wait to so see, we had turnstile idols, um, maniskin, mm. we had uh caribou, um, gosh, those are the ones that kind of stand out to me.
1: Yeah, that Idol set was... I was, was going
0: to say, I know Rob is way into the Idols.
2: Idols was great. I mean, I, yeah, pretty much the ones I rambled off to were the ones that I was like really excited. Either yeah. four or the ones I walked away going, because I didn't know much about Maniskin and they were actually really, really fun. Yeah, I, I put on was, a show. Yeah. Right? It is a show, but it was funny. Like one of my friends was like, man, he's like, it's like... It's like Rams, Ramstein meets Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I was like, yeah, I pretty much nailed it. But it was, it was a good fun. description. <laughs> it was good. It was fun. And they put on a fun show. Yeah. I look and it was great, too, because I looked over at one point and like Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses is like on the side of the stage. And he was like totally just watching the drummer the whole time. That's awesome. You know, It's fun to see like a drummer watching another drummer and just like, yep. you know, watching their method and stuff. So that's so cool.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have just about run out of time. So. Ken, thank you so much for for joining yeah, us and sharing some of your stories, man. This You're is right. awesome. Was and yeah. have a great rest of your day. Hope the rest of your shows go well. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's always no, the goal. No yeah. more bad weather. <laughs> no bad. I know because we have we have three more festivals, so hopefully no more bad weather. Wow. <sighs> In this one, so we'll see. All right.
0: Take All care, right. man. We really appreciate your time. No worries.
2: No worries. It was fun. Take, Take care, care, guys. Thanks, man. Care. Thank thank man. Thank you. All right. Bye, bye. Comic-Cons are back,
0: and fans are ready. Hear all about it on The Con Guy Show, where we keep you up to date on all the events, the movies, the people, and the conventions that drive your passions and feed your fandom. Straight from the nerdy heart of Hollywood, California, we are proud members of the ESO Network, your station for all things E. That was good. Thank you.
1: No, he's I've known him for years um, yeah. and I was just like, I should ask him because he was talking about going on the road with the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm like, you know, right now that would be a really good subject because you don't really know what, what roadies do and stuff, you know? Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. He's an interesting guy too. Yeah, so, totally. And I've had, you know, I've been to shows where I, once I know he was doing it, I'd watch him work. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, that's fast, right? And I know what it's like to have the technical stuff not work because when we saw OMD, they had, uh, like, 30 to 40 seconds where uh, Paul Humphrey's keyboards, like, just died, like, yeah. the sound from them. And I watched the guy at the soundboard just kind of like, he was calm, but if this was going to go on longer, he was going to freak out, you know? So, like, I, 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 that is a stress level I could not handle.
0: Well, you know, back in the 80s when I was going to shows a lot, one of my favorite things to do was to get there like as soon as the doors would open and just watch the crew, you know, hang the lighting and all that stuff. I I just loved it. And I always thought how much fun it would be to be on a road crew. I'm sure it's horrible and stressful and, but you know, I had a, it was like, you know, wanting to run away and join the circus.
1: Yeah, and I'm still fascinated by all that too. Like I like, oh, I like yeah. watching the soundboard, like the pageant where he's talking about, you can stand in the general admission seats yeah, uh, area, and you can watch the soundboard with the computers and everything now. Too, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting how lighting is now all digital, whereas before it wasn't. Oh, I know. I mean, I'd love all to right. have a light. I want to have a lighting check on at some point too. Oh but, shit, that'd be awesome. Um, but just like that's got to be just brutal. Well,
0: uh, where can folks find more of you if they're looking to find more of you on the internet?
1: So if people wanna find me, you can uh, go to KDHX, which is uh, kdhx.org. I'm on Wednesday nights from seven to nine central or eight to 10 Eastern. And all of the shows are archived. So if you are busy on a Wednesday night, you can't listen in real time. You can just listen in the privacy and luxury of your own home or trailer or boat. And uh, just tune in on our stream because those shows are archived for two weeks. Awesome. Um, I have another podcast
0: on this same network called Earth Station Trek. And you can find us anywhere that you find great podcasts like Spotify and Apple and iHeartRadio and all these other places. And uh, another thing, if you're in the Atlanta area and you want to see some of me in person and not just on the Internet, My David Bowie tribute band is doing a show this coming Sunday night, May 8th, at a a venue called aisle five. And um, it's going to be a multi band show. It's a Sunday evening, it's going to be a benefit for a local organization that does support work for uh, homeless folks in our in our community. And uh, my band's the headliner. We have a killer set lined up nothing but bangers It is going to be amazing and people should come see it so uh i'm not sure when we're going to be recording next week since we normally record on sunday nights and both rob and i have other things going on on sunday night so we'll just have to figure that out yeah but it's also mother's it's also mother's day yeah that's true So. so uh we'll have another episode out as soon as we can Uh, Take care. Have a great week. We'll see you soon and keep on rocking with Dockin. with (laughs) Dockin. This has been a broadcast of the ESO network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the T public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com.